from people as they sort of, you know, hear, oh, you, you struggle with things or yeah. you're depressed? Some of those attitudes helpful, some not so much. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, so all of you know people who are depressed or you struggle with your depression yourself. And um, all of you will come across this. And one of the, some of the things that are not helpful to say to someone who's struggling with their mental health are, I'll give you an example. Um, a friend of mine brought me for lunch. And he said, um, why did you tell everyone you had a nervous breakdown? Why didn't you just tell them you're sick? They could have thought you had the flu. Well, why? Why should you have to pretend? Why with this illness would someone have to feel ashamed? And that can come across in the church. There were certain people that I would stay well aware, away from because they were too intense. You know, um, I just, they'd look you into your soul and be trying to cast it out of you or whatever. And there was, I just couldn't deal with that level of intensity. So there were some people I had to avoid. And a friend of mine, uh, many years ago, she had a nervous breakdown and she found that Christians were unhelpful to her because they liked to fire Bible verses at her. And um, I realized that uh, when I went through my own depression that the, the Bible teaching, that wasn't the problem. You know, there was one Bible verse in Romans 8 where it says, God works everything together for the good of those who love Him. Well, I'll be honest, when I was depressed, I did find that helpful. But I wouldn't have found it helpful for someone just to come up and fire that Bible verse at me. Because if you go and you simply fire a solution, whatever solution is, you haven't taken the time to listen to the person. You haven't allowed their situation to be unique. Another thing in the... I did this with our pastoral care team this week, uh, just gone by, uh, and I did it in the last church I worked in, where I said to the pastoral care team, I said, say after me. And I, they said, okay, what is it? I said, say I know how you feel. And they said, I know how you feel. I said, never say that again in this church. <laughs> you know, because uh, when someone goes and says, I know how you feel, you could struggle with something similar to me. But if you come and say, I know how you feel, you've just shut down my opportunity to tell you. And as someone who struggles with obsessive compulsive disorder, I don't know how other people with the same illness actually suffer. Um, it may affect them in a very different way than me. Well, Paul, we're delighted to have you here. We're looking forward to you chatting to us more about this, I suppose, particularly helping us to think about where we can find joy in the midst of these yeah. challenges. Thank you. A couple of other things I want to say before I hand over to Paul. Um, he's written a brilliant book called It Is Un... Oh, sorry. Is it? <laughs> is it unspiritual to be depressed? Um, they are free. free. Yeah, they're free. Uh, there was, uh, I struggle with scruples, you know, and, and I don't know if, if anyone, so I would have struggled seriously with scruples to the extent that if I sped, I would have wanted to write to the guardie to confess, you know, and get their absolution. Well, I got a box of those books for free just recently because they had they had overcharged me. So with my scruples, I couldn't have uh, anyone pay anything for them. They must go away free. So there's about 15 of them there, and there are a few more in the car, so if you run out, Sam will go and get you some. Um, but two other things very quickly. We're going to give you an opportunity to ask Paul questions afterwards. So just as you're listening, if questions come to mind, I do try and remember them, and we'll give you a chance. We'll stick a a website and a code up on the screen and you'll be able to ask your question via that website uh, to a device that we will get to see, um, not everybody else. And also, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and 
uh, you're wondering, uh, what is all this Christianity stuff about? Uh, this course, Life Explored, that Yasmin mentioned is starting on Tuesday week, and it's just brilliant for anyone who wants to dig into what the Bible says about life, about who God is, about who we are. So do have a look at that, and um, consider signing up if it would be helpful for you. Paul, over to you. Thank you. It's so lovely to be here. And uh, what I want to do uh, this evening is I want to give a talk that will be helpful to you wherever you stand with Jesus. Um, but there will be Christian elements to this talk. You know, I, I'm a follower of Jesus and, and we're in a church. But I hope that there will be things that I would say that one, will make the gospel of Jesus Christ attractive to you, and two, that even if you have no interest in Jesus, it might help in your suffering. The other thing, too, is after I've spoken, I'm going to go over to the corner there, and uh, if you would like to talk to me, um, or you'd like me to pray with you, uh, I can do so. I have to also tell you, I'm not a doctor, um, I'm, I'm not even a particularly brilliant pastor, um, so, um, I, you know, so I have a limited knowledge of, of what I'm speaking about. I'm speaking from my own experiences but I'm, I'm not speaking with any great medical knowledge. I'm speaking about something. I'm also speaking about something that I'm working through. As it happened, last week was a difficult week for me. I hadn't had a difficult week for a, a while. At a, two funerals, a wedding coming up, it just everything started to get heavy. I'd been uh, on my tablets, and one of the tablets is very difficult to get in Ireland. Uh, I, I got it uh, prescribed to me when I was in Northern Ireland, and the chemist said, can't get it. So I thought I'd su survive without it. I if you take tablets for mental health, you know how disastrous that is when you uh, ignore the advice of the doctor. So I started to crumble a little bit, and I thought it was quite helpful in the lead-up to this talk. Um, but what I'm trying to do is, so I wrote about, is it unspiritual to be depressed? Here's a giver. Uh, what, what do they call it when you give some a piece of, a, a spoiler? It isn't, okay? Um, but it isn't. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking this evening about ideas that follow on from that. So I look at my dad. He's 91. He is in a wheelchair. He's got a catheter. Uh, he, his wife um, is changing because even though he won't accept it, she has Alzheimer's disease. And yet he's the happiest man I know. And, and you've got to understand, I believe that there are medical roots for mental health issues. So I'm not saying if you take the concepts I'm giving you tonight, there'll be some sort of fix-all, or that I'm going to just pray away your depression. But I, I want to give you some words, they're Christian words, some words that might help in your suffering. Because I look at my dad and I think, if I was 91 in a wheelchair with a catheter in, with a wife who's changing, how could I cope? Now, please listen to me very carefully. I'm convinced, and I believe that it's, it's consistent with the Christian gospel to say that I'm convinced that mental illness, like other illnesses, is something that you need not be ashamed of. I would encourage you to go to the doctor. Uh, the reason I'm convinced of this is because in the beginning of the Bible, in the creation accounts, it tells us that when people turned away from God, we ended up living in a world that is dominated by death. 
And, and the Apostle Paul writes in two places in the New Testament where he talks about the fact that our bodies, that we have them now, are broken and perishable, and that the whole of creation is waiting for Jesus to return. In other words, until that day, all people are going to struggle with illness, including things like mental illness. And in some ways, the church should be the most gracious place to understand that and to be encouraging of people who are going through those difficulties. And I'm not saying that God doesn't change things through prayer. I believe that with all my heart. But as you're going to see, I also believe that God can use whatever we're going through for greater purposes. And I would say, if you're uh, someone who's beginning to struggle with anxiety or depression, do talk to your God. Your, <laughs> well, do talk to your God, but do talk to your doctor. Do talk to friends. And don't be afraid of things like um, medical uh, treatment where they are appropriate. And that being said, because what I'm about to do is I'm about to give you six words, if I have time. Do I have to put half past is about to right there, six words that will help you, I hope, no matter where you are on this journey. The first word is belonging. I uh, talked, and I'm going to mention her a few times, to a friend of mine, Brenda. Her name is Brenda Guducci, but she was Brenda O'Connell, and Brenda O'Connell is a lecturer in Maynooth University in psychology. And I, I asked her about belonging, because I find that no matter who I talk to, there's a sense within us of not belonging, of not being understood, of, of people not connecting with us. I even had that at my 10-year school reunion, which was a long time ago now, but I, I talked to this girl who was sort of one of the it girls, and she said, I never felt like I fitted in. Oh, you didn't fit in. What about me? And, and almost everyone I talk to, there's this, there's this sense of not belonging. And again, that makes sense given the creation accounts that we read in the book of Genesis and the Bible. Because what you see after humankind turns their back on God, they start fighting with each other. One of the first stories is a story of murder. And we live in a world of broken belonging. And, and one of the things I, I have found about becoming a Christian is that it has brought me into an amazing community of people, friends like Ed. I, I know uh, Norman is there. Johnny, his son, is one of my best friends. And when I met him in college, I had never really met someone with such depth and care. Psalm 16 talks about God's people, and they say, these are to be our delight. And I would say that whoever you are, uh, wherever you're, you are spiritually-wise, find places to belong. Find people to belong. Find people who are gracious, who are willing to listen to you. Find a, a sense of belonging within your family. You know that Ireland apparently is the loneliest country in the EU. Uh, Brenda told me that loneliness, when it gets severe, can be the equivalent of taking 15 cigarettes a day. 
But ultimately, the Christian gospel says that there's a God we can belong to. And that is the ultimate hope that we have. Because I don't think there's anyone I love that I haven't let down at some stage. But there is a God there who offers belonging to every person. And then there's purpose. Now, let me tell you a story about Brenda, my friend, and, and she comes a bit of a hero in this story, because anytime I need like, expert advice, I text Brenda. And uh, what happened was I saw Brenda on RTE. I, I didn't actually see this live. Someone showed me the clip, and she was on with a bunch of teenagers. And they were asking her about happiness, because she's a psychologist in the area of happiness. And she said, you know what, kids? He said, she didn't call them kids because you, you don't call teenagers kids anymore. But she, uh, she said to them, uh, guys, she said, there's two types of happiness. I didn't know this. She said, there's hedonistic happiness, which means you live for the weekend. You live for the, the, the pleasure. You live for the adrenaline or the dopamine fix, right? That's hedonistic happiness. And there's a word that I, I looked up, I, I sounded weird to me, called eudaimonic happiness. And it's to live for a bigger picture. And she said, look, if you want a sense of purpose in life, you need to find a bigger picture to live for. And the funny thing is, she said, hedonistic happiness ultimately leaves you empty. And so if you spend your life just living for the weekend or whatever, you're going to be left empty. She says, you need a big picture. And the funny thing about Brenda is when she said that, she actually looked up in the air. And I know what she was doing. She was saying, you know, God happens to be my bigger picture. And I met her months later and I said, I, I saw that little bit where you're trying to get your faith in by throwing your eyes to heaven. She said, well, actually, I did speak about Jesus. I did speak about, for me, how he's the bigger picture, but, but when the RT editors got to it, they cut it out. Again, I'm trying to give you advice that no matter where you are spiritually can give you help. Many people in this church, well, most people in this church, their big picture comes from their relationship with God. But it may be for you that, that you'll be helped by, you know, charity work or having things that are bigger than yourself that take your mind off yourself. And then, oh yes, and I have three things to say, and I'm going to quote Michael Buble in this. You know Michael Buble? Seriously, he's a great theologian. <laughs> well, there are certain things you can only learn through suffering. One of them is empathy. Have you ever met someone who's, who's never really endured any suffering in their life? They seem a little bit superficial. And, and sometimes you meet people and you know that what they've gone through has made them deep. Has given them a degree of empathy. And, and that's taught in the Bible. I remember when I was 19 years old, I was studying in Dublin and I, I was falling apart. And I, I went for a walk I don't know what time of the night it was. And I went into the center of Dublin, and there in O'Connell Street, I saw a homeless guy. And I'm not saying I loved him as much as I should have loved him. But I identified with him in his very different and greater struggles than mine. But I, my heart went out to him in a way that 
I hadn't noticed people like that before. Because the pain made me want to connect with him. Does that make sense? And it's, it's again, it's taught in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul prays. He said that he had the spirit even of life in his situation. He says, I pray to the God of all comfort who comforts us in our weaknesses that we may comfort others with the help that we have received from God. And what I want to say to you is if you are someone who suffers, I'm not, I'm not trying to in any way lighten that, but there are things that will help you connect to other people. There will be people who will connect to you because they know you've experienced something of the reality of pain. Empathy, another one is hope. At Romans chapter 5, the apostle tall, talks about suffering, producing character, producing hope. I think it works like this. When you go through a difficult time and you feel God getting you through that, or even if you just get through that, you get a hope for the next time that it's going to happen. When I was in my very deep depression, for that short period of time, the most fearful thing for me was that this would be the way the rest of my life would be. And having got that through that before, I now know, even last week, when I thought I was beginning to fall apart, I've got through this before. This, too, will pass. But let me tell you about Michael Bublé. I'm going to cut out one other one. But Michael Bublé. So remember, Ryan Tuberty used to do the uh, Late Leg Show long before the summer. Very different world for him before the summer. And uh, Michael, not Ryan Tuberty, it's Ryan Tuberty. And uh, on his last show, I was down with my parents uh, just for uh, a night. I turned on the Late Late Show. It was his last show, and he was interviewing Michael Bublé. Um, and Michael Bublé said something that made a lot of sense. And I don't know where Michael Bublé stands with God, but anyway, he said something that the Bible teaches. He said he had felt like his life was Teflon. Nothing stuck to him. Everything was fine. And then his son got ill. And he said it brought into his life a depth that he's not necessarily thankful for, but has changed him forever. And he says, whatever you face in life, it's a fork in the road. And, and Jeremiah in the Old Testament, one of the prophets, writes about this. And that fork in the road is that you can become bitter and harsh and withdraw, become cynical. Or you can grow in compassion and understanding and grace. And so one of the, the dangers when we go through depression and anxiety is that it could make us bitter and harsh and resentful but pray that it would make you compassionate and understanding and caring. The, the next ones I'm going to go through very quick. Grace. <laughs> I was having uh, lunch with a friend of mine the other day, and uh, he doesn't go to church. And uh, he said to me, uh, I listened to one of your sermons. So they're on Spotify. And he said, I listened to one of your sermons. I said, oh, oh ben, ben, I, was, I wasn't supposed to use his name. Uh, sorry. But I said, um, 
with John. Um, <laughs> I said, John, um, I actually quoted you in one of my sermons. And he goes, oh, really? Yeah, I quoted you. He said, you didn't use my name, did you? And I, I was really tempted to lie. I kind of wormed my way a little bit out, but I knew that he could look it up. So uh, I may have, you know, I knew right well I had. But anyway, John, you see, what happened is John came to me. And, and we, we, we meet for lunch every few weeks. And, and John said to me, you know, I go to this counselor. And I go to this counselor and I tell them, or this, this lady, he says, I tell her, I'm a rotten person. I said, I'm rotten too. He said, no, no, I'm a rotten person. And the problem is, all she can do is tell me, no, 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 you're a really nice person. And he says, I said, I think that's just, that's just awful. Because let's think about it. If your mental health is built about you being a really nice person, what do you do about all the crappy stuff you see inside you? What do you do about all the selfishness? I don't want to build my mental health, my self-esteem, around convincing myself that I'm a good person. Because I'm selfish. And I'm moody. And, and Chan will be able to tell you about that. And there's things inside of me that I don't like. But I said to him, you know, Ben, there is a better concept. And that's the concept of grace. And, and in Psalm 103, one of the Psalms written in the Old Testament, it says, God does not treat us as our sins, the stuff that's wrong in us, deserve. And that is a much better foundation than self-esteem for having any sense of worth. And he agreed with me, I think. And, and that leads on to the next one, which is my fourth. And I'm, I know you're not too worried about time, but, you know, I can see them yawning. Um, <laughs> but, but that is love. And one of the struggles of my Christian life is to be confident in God's love. I'm a doubter. I read every hard passage and it goes straight to my heart and I read every soothing passage and it just flies over me. But one of the fundamental things about God in the Bible, what he says about himself is I am love. God is love. And one of the only times Jesus talks about what he's like, he says, I am lowly and gentle in heart. A bruised reed I will not break. A smoldering wick I will not snuff out. And that's not the fullness of everything God says about himself, but it's at the core of who he is. Now, think about how it would affect your mental well-being if you were convinced that the God of this world loves you with a love that will never let go. And there's places you can find that love. You can look at the character of the person of Jesus. I love to take, a, there's some gospels there, the biographies of Jesus. I love to take them and just concentrate on who Jesus is, what sort of person he is. He uses a word of him of compassion that's used of no one else in, in those books except for him and people like him in his stories, like the father of the prodigal son. But then there's the cross. And this is where grace comes into its fullness, because this God of justice and holiness, who's a God of love, he's willing to have 
your guilt and my guilt taken upon his own son on a cross so that our guilt is dealt with and we never need to feel guilty again, even though we let him down many times. And I don't know about you, but for me, that sometimes feels too good to be true. I struggle to hold it. And then there's the person of the Holy Spirit and there's a prayer. You know, if you're thinking about people in this church who are struggling with any degree of suffering, there's a prayer in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 where he prays for people that they would be sure of God's love for them. And that is the most important prayer you can pray for anyone struggling. And then the last thing. Well, let me tell you, gratitude, very quickly, gratitude. My friend Brenda, she actually did her PhD in gratitude. When I met Brenda, uh, first of all, she was studying her PhD in gratitude. Thought so that was a fairly interesting thing. She told me about gratitude. She says, it can even change the neurological pathways in your brain. I know a Christian counselor that I've talked to, this Christian counselor, when, when you go to her, what she will do is she'll say, start with A and work to Z. And we've got our people in the church doing this. And this will affect your mood over time. It won't take away all the, the deep, you know, if you have schizoaffective disorder or bipolar or OCD. I'm not saying that, you know, just doing this is going to take all that away. But it will help you. And, and so she says she gets all her people who come to her to go through an A to Z on things to be grateful for. I've tried to get our church doing it. It says it, it affects your relationships, it affects your mood, as he said, it even affects your neurological pathways. The only problem with an A to Z is X. You know, xylophones and X-rays I'm only that much thankful for. I tried actually with 1 to 25 you know, and take 25 things, 25 things. And then the last one, and this is a strange one, but it's a, it's a big biblical theme. It's the theme of rest. You know, I grew up in a home where I wasn't very good at studying, and my brother was. Now, I was as loved as much as he was, but he didn't have to do as much work as I did, because if you were upstairs studying, you didn't have to do the dishes. You know, work was, my mother, even now, if she was here, she'd say, Paul, you know, when you're talking about rest, just don't make sure they don't get lazy. You know, are you self, Paul? But actually, the Bible is a whole thing about rest. Again, it starts in the creation account. There's a pattern of taking a day off every week. I used to do that legalistically as a student. Students going to tell you it's a really good thing to do to have a set day off, even if it was a day before an exam, I would feel like it was God's permission, and it reminded me of priorities, that my God isn't here for just how I work or what I achieve. And it's actually a statement of the gospel, because Jesus says, come on to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And he was talking to people who are busy trying to prove themselves. And he was saying, you don't have to prove yourself. Rest in me. The gospel, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, in one of the books that the apostle Paul writes, he says, you know, this is not something you get from God that you earn or that you work for or that you prove yourself in. This is something where you accept the grace of God. You rest in it. And so taking time to rest and being a person who's not busy proving how busy you are is, is a statement of the Christian gospel. It's also a statement of trust. 
I read a little book called Cannot Christianity Cure OCD? And one of the things, because OCD is an illness where you're always going looking for reassurance, and he says one of the things that, that a belief in God can do is that you can go and over time you can say, I trust, I trust that he's got it covered. And you learn to do that. It doesn't come easy. I trust him. And taking rest is a time, it's a way of saying, I trust. I trust that he's got the world sorted out. You know, Ed taking a day off is a way of saying, this isn't my church, it's God's church, and he can look after everybody for a day. Because I don't need to, to do that all the time. And it's also a statement of identity. Because don't you hate us that everyone, the first time they meet you, they says, what do you do? tell you, go to your school reunion as a pastor. It's really awkward. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just the worst job in the world. I saw people with looks of terror in their eyes. What do I talk to him about now? <laughs> or, or did I curse? You know, I, I had one friend who wouldn't come over to watch the Ireland South Africa with me. He says, because I'll feel so bad, could be cursing at the TV. He doesn't need to apologize to me. But it's a statement of identity. I can rest in Him. My identity is not in what I do. It's not in what I've achieved. My identity is that there is a God of this world who loves me and calls me a son or daughter. And I need achieve nothing. And He will delight over me. I want to finish with a poem. It's actually a hymn that a guy called John Newton wrote. And, and I thought this kind of helped me. Okay, it's, it's, it's a poem, just briefly, or a hymn that reminds us of the fact that we trust a God who's got us through the past. And, and, and if you don't know that God, can I even encourage you to look at how you've got through the past before? And don't give up hope. But this is particularly focused on the God of the Bible. His love and time past forbids me to think he'll leave me at last in trouble to sink. Each sweet Ebenezer, that was a, a stone that they reminded God's goodness. I have to receive, confirms his good pleasure to help me quite through. Thank you. Just really grateful to you. So, as I said, we're going to give you a chance for questions. So, I think up on the screen. Can you read that? Yeah. So, if you want to ask questions, you can go to this website, and then there'll be a place where you can put in the number, and then you can type your questions. Oh, so it is going to come up on the screen, is it? Or you're going to you're going to take that away in a moment, are you? No, it's anonymous. It's anonymous, right? So it's not going to come up on the screen, but it will come up on my device, so I can ask Paul. So we're going to give you just a minute to just sort of process some of what you've been hearing um, and maybe ask some questions. Well read. Like your runners.
I'm going to invite uh, Paul up. Do you, do you want me to ask you, or do you want to start on one of them? You ask, ask me then. Okay. Um, I, can I just remind you again, I'm no expert, you know, um, so I'll give you anything from my lived experience. Was there a point in time where you struggled to accept taking medication? Yeah, I, uh, can I just say, um, I don't like taking medication. You know, it's not, it's not something I want to have to do, but there is nothing, medication helps me. And I know medication helps me. And there are people who know about the brain far better than I do, who know that in a broken, fallen world, we get sick, including our brain. And you should not in any way feel ashamed about that. There was a great preacher called Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he wrote a book on uh, scriptures and healing. He happened to be a doctor. He said, if you take uh, insulin for your pancreas, why would you be ashamed to take a, a medication for your brain? Now, there are some dangers. I, I talked to this man's dad, actually, Connor's dad, who said, you know, he's a GP. There, there can be, he said, one of his frustrations as a GP is to get so little time with people that, you know, you write a prescription, you send the person off. And, and what I, my belief is that mental health is a multiple of factors. There might be an issue in your past that broke you. Uh, and, and because of the multiple factors, you want to have multiple helps. One of those may be medication. You should not feel ashamed of that. What I find about medication is that often the attitude of people around the person towards their relative or loved one taking medication is either hugely helpful or not helpful. And so can I plead with you, if you have family members who are struggling with mental health issues and have got a good diagnosis, to encourage them to take their tablets and, and not in any way look down on them or stigmatize that in any way. Paul, thank you. Let me try and ask, there's a few questions specifically on OCD, so I'm yeah. gonna try and throw these all at you in one, yeah. one lot. So could you recommend a Christian book about OCD? Do you have any advice for a young Christian struggling with severe OCD and how did you first start accepting that God was looking after you? Just one more, if I can find it, give me a second. Um, no, I can't find it, let's, let's go for those, those well, two. Well, the yeah. first thing to say is that OCD, I'm not an expert, but I read that there's 2% of the population struggle with OCD. Now, there's what, 100 people here? So that means there's probably two other people struggling with it. It's a common illness. Uh, it's very much based on intrusive thinking. And um, those intrusive thoughts, it's very helpful to realize this thought of an anti-thought. I spent my time going, what is wrong with me that these thoughts would come into my head? What sort of person am I am that I would have these blasphemous thoughts or whatever? But, but actually, uh, it was really helpful to realize these are what's called an anti-thought. They're, they're the exact opposite of what I, what I love. They're, they're reflective of what I fear. And, and if you're inter interested in Christianity, it's most likely that you're going to struggle with intrusive thoughts related to your faith or perversity or whatever. And you must not take those thoughts seriously. They're not reflective of who you are. In terms of books for OCD, um, 
there's a guy called Ian Osborne, and uh, he has a book entitled Can Christianity Cure OCD? Um, he's a kind of, he'd be probably a more liberal view of theology than you and I would have, but he certainly seems to get the, the gospel in a, in a good sense. And um, he, I found him very helpful for the idea of trying to learn to trust to give God things. He also wrote a book uh, on besetting thoughts. If you, I, I, I can send you some links if you want. I, I would say, too, cognitive behavior is very helpful for OCD. Um, learning, I even found this, um, trying not to look for reassurance. When I went through uh, my breakdown, there's a, a friend of mine in Moore College in Sydney, and I would send him, every day I would send him emails with my latest doubt about God. And one day he kind of just said, I've given you all the answers. You've got to start not looking just for reassurance. But OCD, it's a, it can be debilitating. Yeah, I know that it, I, if you're an OCD sufferer, you shouldn't take this too personally, but you know the way they joke about it in the media? You know, I was at a conference, great guy, but he goes, oh, I'm so OCD about that. And I go, well, the first person I ever met with OCD had just tried to take their own life. You know, this is, it's not a joking matter. It's a very serious illness, and it's debilitating, and it starts at quite a young age. I think a couple more questions, just sort of more yeah. on the OCD one, and then I'm going to ask a few more about sort of caring for people and things like that. Um, so just, I think some folk asking, um, you know, what, what would you do first if you feel like you need help, would you go to your GP, would you go talk to your pastor, would you go to a psychologist, would you get some counselling, what, what would you do first? I think the first thing you do is talk, so don't suffer in silence. So again, my friend Brenda, she said uh, there's this thing called a therapeutic alliance. A therapeutic alliance is you go to a Christian, or, uh, you go to any counsellor or psychiatrist or whatever, you, you, you automatically you either feel comfortable with them or you don't feel comfortable with them. Uh, one of the problems when I had my nervous breakdown was I went to the Devere House in, in Limerick, and out of four sessions, I had three different counselors or three different psychiatrists. So there's no opportunity to form that therapeutic alliance. But the therapeutic alliance is that natural feeling that you get. And the, the counselor that I had for my CBT turned out it was exactly what I wouldn't have wanted because she was a woman. And I, I thought, I don't really want to talk about these things to someone of the other sex. You know, just, it just seemed a bit too private to me. But I did feel at home straight away with her. She had this ability to um, make me feel safe and free to talk. And my friend Brenda said that that therapeutic alliance is that even if the person's not a particularly good counselor, if they have that therapeutic alliance with you, just talking it out is the most helpful thing. So the starting place is not to keep it to yourself. It's, to, uh, it's helpful. Uh, one of the great things about an OCD is di uh, diagnosis or intrusive thinking diagnosis or any of the or schizoaffective or whatever is that when you realize you've a diagnosis, it does give you that permission to go, I know these thoughts are somewhat ridiculous, but um, I realize that this is an illness. Because until I got a diagnosis, I used to like, have the craziest fears that I was going to my wife with and saying, what about this and what about this? And I just thought I was strange. And, um, but I would say talk, 
don't be afraid to talk to your psychiatrist or doctor. Start with your GP. But the other thing too is, um, as Christian pastors, if you're, if you're a Christian, you're coming from a Christian worldview, it can be helpful to debrief with a mature Christian. So take someone like my friend John, who's uh, going to counseling. If he was in our church, what I'd be doing is, why don't you talk to me about what the, the, the counselor's telling you? You know, let's talk about what's helpful, what's not helpful. Brilliant, Paul, thank you. I want to ask just a couple of questions about how can we help others? Yeah. Um, so do you recommend any, any courses or workshops to help one show empathy on a deeper level and to know what to say or tools to help when someone is going through a difficult time or similar question? There's lots of wrong things to say, but what are some of the good things or approaches we can take with our suffering friends? I think that there is lots of wrong things you can say. So the best thing to do is listen, you know? But there is a listening where you know where you feed back to someone what you, you know, so you tell me something and I summarize a little bit of what you've told me. And then you go, oh, he has heard me. He does, and it gives opportunity to clarify. There is a guy called Patrick O'Regan. I've just read one of his books. And he writes a thing about Kinsigi. And Kinsigi is a Japanese idea where they used to, if, if China was broken, they would fix it with gold. And the idea is, you know, the, the brokenness is what gives value. Uh, and I think in our church, we might try to run a course on this. But in particularly for, for you who belong to this church, if there is a, an atmosphere of grace and kindness in the church that people feel they'll be taken seriously, no matter what they're going through, it will surface. People will, will feel comfortable. And, and that attitude in a church is what matters. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my sense is helping people Helping others is just something you, you do badly at the beginning, but you try and you get better and you learn. Um, side by side, though, if there was a book to read, would you oh, recommend yes. that? We're doing that in our pastoral care group, and that's brilliant because it's the whole thing of, of the fact that because we're all broken in some way and we're all rotten in heart in every way, um, we're that, it says that's the qualifications to be a carer for someone. Yeah. Um, so if you so, want to read a book to help you care yeah. for others side by side, read it with yeah. someone else, actually. Exactly. So we're better. doing, our pastoral care team in our church is doing that book, and it's really helpful. Just one last area I wanted to ask questions about, more just about sort of your deeper sense of purpose and things like that. Mm. Let me try and find the questions. If happiness is about finding purpose, how do you find your purpose? Um, how did you first start accepting that God was looking after you? Yeah, let's go with those. Okay, yeah. so I'll, I'll try to take those two together. Um, you know, as someone who follows Jesus, that obviously is my central point of purpose. But all of us can have a sense of purpose in being people who seek to care for others. Um, and, and so you, you find that, you know, there's a book, you know, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Like, I'm very, I'm very vain. I don't mind being at the front of a church, uh, you know, but I, I, the, the real sense of purpose has to be following people up, loving them, praying for people, which, which does make a huge difference. So um, that can be a way of trying to look beyond yourself. Um, one of the things I read this morning, and I'm not a very good quiet time person, but from Isaiah, he will keep in purpose 
perfect peace to the person whose mind is set in God. And I think that there is a freedom in trying to take your attention away from yourself and, and focus it outwards and upwards. Um, and I, does that answer both of those questions? Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. Paul, just really grateful for you um, and for your kindness in helping us this evening. Thank you. Um, as he said, you're going to be over in the corner. Yeah. So I'll go over there. Um, the, one of the things is if you do come over, um, be conscious there may be other people waiting after you, you know, but I'll, we'll try to pray and, and listen and if any, any advice I can give. Great, great. Paul, we're going to sing one final song, so I'm going to invite the musicians up.